Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thank you on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's in Tel Aviv, Israel. We'll look forward to talk to Mark about what's happening around the globe. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several novels, uh, Murder Mysteries, located in Washington, D.C. His latest is No Problem. It is July 4th, it's Independence Day, and on this day in 1776, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence, which proclaimed the independence of the United States of America from Great Britain and its king. The Declaration came 442 days after the first volleys of the American Revolution were fired at Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts and marked an ideological expansion of the conflict that would eventually encourage France's intervention on behalf of the Patriots. The first major American opposition to British policy came in 1765 after Parliament passed the Stamp Act, a taxation measure to raise revenues for a standing British army in America. Under the banner of no taxation without representation, colonists convened the Stamp Act Congress in October 1765 to vocalize their opposition to the tax. With its enactment in November, most colonists called for a boycott of British goods and some organized attacks on the custom houses and homes of tax collectors. After months of protests in the colonies, Parliament uh, voted to repeal the Stamp Act in March of 1766. Most colonists continued quietly to accept British rule until Parliament's enactment of the Tea Act in 1773, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a monopoly of the American tea trade. The low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tea smuggled into America by Dutch traders, and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation tyranny. In response, Militant patriots in Massachusetts organized the Boston Tea Party, which saw British tea valued at some 18,000 pounds dumped into uh, the Boston Harbor. The British Parliament, outraged by the Boston Tea Party and other blatant acts of destruction of British property, enacted the Coercive Acts, also known as the Intolerable Acts, in 1774. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, established formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecution in America, and required colonists to quarter British troops. Oh, so... That's unbelievable. The colonists subsequently called for the first Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance to the British. While the other colonies watched intently, Massachusetts led the resistance to the British, forming a shadow revolutionary government and establishing militias to resist the increasing British military presence across the colony. 
In April 1775, Thomas Gage, the British governor of Massachusetts, ordered British troops to march to Concord, Massachusetts, where a Patriot arsenal was known to be located. On April 19, 1775, the British regulars encountered a group of American militiamen at Lexington, and the first shots of the American Revolution were fired. The shot heard around the world. Initially, both the Americans and the British saw the conflict as a kind of civil war within the British Empire. To King George III, it was a colonial rebellion, and to the Americans, it was a struggle for their rights as British citizens. However, Parliament remained unwilling to negotiate with American rebels and instead purchased German mercenaries to help the British crush the rebellion. In response to Britain's continued opposition to reform, the Continental Congress began to pass measures abolishing British authority in the colonies. In January 1776, Thomas Paine published Common Sense, an influential political pamphlet that convincingly argued for American independence and sold more than 500,000 copies in just a few months. In the spring of 1776, support for independence swept the colonies. The Continental Congress called for states to form their own governments, and a five-man committee was assigned to draft a declaration. The Declaration of Independence was largely the work of uh, Thomas Jefferson. In justifying American independence, Jefferson, Jefferson uh, drew generously from the political philosophy of John Locke and the advocates of natural rights and from the work of other English theorists. The first section features the famous lines, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The second part presented a long list of grievances that provided the rationale for the rebellion. On July the 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress voted to approve the Virginia motion, calling for separation from Britain. The dramatic words of the resolution were added to the closing of the Declaration of Independence. Two days later, on July the 4th, the Declaration was formally adopted by 12 colonies after minor revision. New York approved it on, January, on July the 19th, and on August the 2nd, the Declaration was signed. The Revolutionary War would last for five more years. Yet to come were the Patriots' triumphs in Saratoga, the bitter winter at Valley Forge, and the intervention of the French, and the final victory at Yorktown in 1781. In 1783, the signing of the Treaty of Paris with Britain, the United States formally became a free and independent nation. Think of all those years, the struggle. And of course, most of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence ended up dying bankrupt. Nevertheless, tremendous uh, sacrifice on the part of the patriots for the great nation that we have today. In fact, uh, Ben Franklin was walking out of Independence Hall after the Constitutional Convention in 1787 when someone shouted out, Doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? To which Franklin supposedly responded with a rejoinder at once witty and ominous, the republic, if you can keep it. The republic, if you can keep it. Well, we're doing a lot right now to show that we don't want to keep it uh, in, the, in the way that uh, we're currently being governed. And perhaps it's time for some sort of a, another revolution, a peaceful revolution through voting, where we take our freedoms and our Constitution back. Well, if you haven't made plans for today, consider the parade in downtown Naples at 10 a.m. and the fireworks displayed near the Naples Pier beginning around 9 p.m., some of us are making last-minute plans, and why? Because one-third of Americans have changed their 4th of July plans due to high gas prices, and Emerson College poll released Friday found 
The survey taken June 28th and 29th among 1,271 registered voters found that 33% have actively changed their travel plans this holiday weekend due to consistently higher gas prices. Regarding airfare, 18% have changed plans because of issues with planes and travel, the survey found. The results came as gas prices remain high, standing at an average of $4.84. On Friday, reaching an all-time high of $5.16, I should say, and one cent on June the 14th. Even so, gas prices are still well over $2.40 higher than on the former President Donald Trump's last full day in office on July the 19th, 2021. At that time, the gas price stood at an average of $2.38. Remember when, huh? Only then, not only that, the common 4th of July weekend cookout has jumped drastically, up 17% from last year, according to the survey results. Remember that uh, Biden was bragging that it was down 10 cents last year. Well, it's up 17% right now. For two pounds of ground beef at $11.12, up 36% cents from last 36 from last year. Uh, the, the producer price index from the Agriculture Department indicates that compared to a year ago, farm-level cattle prices are up 17.5%, but wholesale beef prices are down 14%. This serves to highlight the differences between farm-level wholesale and retail beef prices and how the events of the last few years have significant impact on beef production and cattle pricing cycles. Making them as hard to predict, several other foods in survey, including chicken breasts, pork chops, homemade potato salad, fresh squeezed lemonade, pork and beans, hamburger buns, and cookies also have increased in price. A recent uh, YouGov CBS News poll shows a majority of Americans indicated that the rise of cost of food is affecting them a lot. Fireworks are not only the only thing exploding this holiday, as prices are soaring higher than any bottle rocket that, according to Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the National Republican Committee, Joe Biden's reckless agenda has made it more difficult for Americans to spend time with their family, friends, and celebrate Independence Day. The American dream is slipping away because of Biden's reckless agenda, she added. And I think that's certainly true. Well, as Governor Ron DeSantis praised Florida's improvements in civic literacy scores, he also touted Florida's focus on teaching accurate American history without ideological agenda. You're learning the real history, DeSantis said. You're learning the real facts, but it's not going to be done in a way that t- we're trying to indoctrinate students with whatever modern agenda that somebody may have. Assessments results show that performance increased by 5% overall in civics. African-American students increased performance by 8% in civics. Students in economically disadvantaged families saw an increase of 7%. So amazing progress all across the board in drilling down on the importance of civics for our future citizens, said Florida Commissioner of Education Manny Diaz. Florida Governor DeSantis announced that the Florida Civics and Debate Initiative will expand to all school districts for the upcoming school year. There are 2,500 teachers who will compete Uh, complete three-day civics professional development training by the end of July. Those teachers who participate in civics boot camps will be awarded the Civic Seal of Excellence and will receive a $3,000 bonus. We need to be able to produce students who understand what it means to be an American, DeSantis said. They understand our constitutional structure and they understand the founding principles of our country. They understand the Bill of Rights and they understand what a society based on the rule of law actually means. 
In the upcoming school year, there'll be $1 million put towards expanding the Florida Civics and Debate Initiative, which is double last year's funding. What you actually are exposed to is a lot of ideas that make America. It's an infectious thing, DeSantis said. People want to learn more. They're able to see very quickly why our system is superior than other systems that have been tried before. Congratulations again to another winning strategy on the part of Governor DeSantis and uh, Manny Diaz. By the way, uh, President Joe Biden's border with Mexico is the deadliest land crossing in the world, according to the United Nations Group, the International Organization for Migration. More than 1,238 lives have been lost during migration in the uh, North, Central, and South Americas in 2021. Among them, at least 51 children, said the group's uh, July 1st report. At least 728 uh, of these deaths occurred on the United States-Mexico border, uh, making it the deadliest land crossing in the world, said the statement. The number of deaths on the United States-Mexico border last year is significantly higher than it was in any prior year, even before COVID-19, that according to the author of the, uh, of the study. Yet the number remains an undercount. The record number of deaths reflects the mass migration up to the border, where Biden's border chief, Alejandro Mayorkas, is dangling work permits and jobs to more than a million foreigners. Can you believe that? In 2020, one-third fewer people died through North, Central, and South America when Donald Trump was president, and uh, those numbers have just grown enormously. The opposition to growing anti-established, multicultural, cross-sex, non-racist, class-based, bipartisan, rational, persistent, and, and recognizes the solidarity that Americans owe one another. So it is Independence Day, and we should celebrate it and uh, have a solemn resolve, all of us, to support uh, our nation and uh, our Constitution and our government when it deserves it. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. He's also a great historian. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, it's the 4th of July, and I, I thought we could start our conversation by talking about the significance of the 4th of July in uh, global and uh, United States history. Absolutely, Bob. You know, in the United States history, American history doesn't begin with the 4th of July, obviously. It begins with the beginning of the colonies. But the United States began, even though it was a confederation at the time, began on the 4th of July mm-hmm. when the Continental Congress uh, ratified the Declaration of Independence and America declared itself independent. You know, when you think about it, a uh, brave group of people there Obviously, they were rebelling against the king, and when you rebel against the king, um, if you lose, the uh, price is death, obviously. Yeah. And so they were willing to take that risk. Um, now, in retrospect, it's not surprising that the Americans won, let's put it that way. In other words, we sometimes think about how did the Americans ever win against the great global power, the British? Well, if it had been a naval warfare war only, I think the Americans would not have won the war. But mm-hmm. the British really didn't have a large land army. The Americans um, had their convictions more than anything else. They were fighting on their own lands. They were fighting for their freedom. And um, the British had to you know, travel far away in order to send troops, which they basically uh, at some point ran out of and didn't have the troops available to send. And so the American victory ultimately was inevitable. Um, and that's, but it didn't hurt to have some really good generals, obviously. Yeah, and of course the resolves, uh, the resolve of the Americans versus, for example, the mercenaries, the Hussians that uh, supported the British effort. Uh, you know, they first had thought it was an uprising, and this is just the Americans misbehaving. But ultimately, they didn't understand the true resolve of of Americans wanting independence. No, absolutely. Look, the British so misunderstood this. The British could we, we could. America could still be part of Great Britain if all they had done was given given the colonies representation in the British Parliament. Mm-hmm. That probably would have ended it. Right. You know, no, the, the the famous statement, 
uh, no taxation without representation. The British could have given the American representation in the Parliament, and the Americans probably would have been happy with that. And who knows what the world would have been like? Um, but they didn't. They mis misunderstood, and uh, the result: America became free. Not, but it wasn't only America that became free, because the United States, the American Revolution, was a um, was a sign for other other societies. On one level, it was the French Revolution, mm -hmm. which followed the American Revolution. Now, that wasn't a revolution for freedom from the country, but freedom from the kings at the time. But then you look at all of South America, and all of South America, in one form or another, followed the American example and revolted against the Spanish and, uh, lesser extent, the Portuguese, and became free over a period of the next 30 or 40 years. Uh, so it, it was the first... Um, but obviously not the last. Um, and it shows what can be done when you have the conviction of your ways, um, when you have a democratic system. I mean, remember, the, the democracy in the, con in the colonies at the time was limited. It was limited to white males who owned land, but that, of course, expanded with time. Um, but there was, there was a will, and the will was clearly shown by those who uh, fought the wars, and that fought them well. I mean... Both, uh, obviously, uh, President Washington was an excellent general yeah. and knew the limits of his troops and knew what he could accomplish and was able to do both. One other thing, too, is that our, our revolution, while it was bloody, it was uh, resulted in a, a rational document, a constitution, that uh, and uh, the rule of law, as opposed to, for example, the French Revolution, which was just bloody anarchy originally. It just uh, started off that way. So, I mean... Well, because, again, remember, remember the difference, though. The French were revolting against their system of government, and they were revolting against the king and the taxation and everything else directly of the king and the system that existed. We were revolting against a foreign power. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be free. We also... America was blessed with some really brilliant minds at the time. I mean, when you think back at it, um, you think, think of, you know, Washington, but Jefferson and Adams... Uh, and Madison, and even Monroe. And so the founding fathers were a brilliant group of people, highly, highly educated and thoughtful. That, that's the most important part. They, they, they thought and um, tried to figure out what was the best system to go forward, what was the best way to, to create first as a confederation, and it didn't work. Let's remember that. Hmm. The United States didn't start as the United States. We started as a confederation. Um, but there was not enough central power, and it was falling apart, basically. So that's why the Constitution was created, and then the United States was created to create a strong central government that could work. Um, but also keep in mind that, uh, you know, there are four, on one hand, the Constitution has been a great document that has maintained its, um, its viability for all these years. On the other hand, let's keep in mind what Jefferson said, which was that the Constitution has to be a living document that reflects the time. And, of course, there have been the many, many amendments to the Constitution over the years. Today it's a little less likely we'll get any more amendments because of how divided uh, the country is, at least for the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact of the matter is the Constitution, you know, the, the, if you take away all the amendments from the Constitution, it's not the same document at all. Well, in fact, uh, aside from the... Uh the uh, Bill of Rights in the the, the ten amendments, first ten amendments, has only been like what is it, seventeen amendments since uh, in all these years. Yes, yeah. but they were not small amendments. No, that's right. Eliminating slavery, giving women the right to vote, uh, you know, all, all these minor details. Not to mention fixing some of the 
the problems that existed in the Constitution, you know, for instance, the succession of presidents and how all that worked was a little bit problematic initially. Right. And that had to be, had to be revised because they didn't anticipate every possibility. You know, we also need to remember that these were very, very bright people, very, very well-educated people and thoughtful people, but they weren't deities. Right. They could not, they, they, they could not anticipate um, 200 years in the future. And uh, like I said, the most important thing that Jefferson said was, this needs to be a living document that, gets, that, that reflects the time and gets changed over the time, depending on the needs. I mean, you know, social media, do you think, well, what, what would Jefferson and Adams think about the about social media? Yeah, good good point. Yeah, you know, there's uh, Jefferson and Adams, as I understand it, were uh, arch enemies at one point, but they had some similarities too. Right, they were definitely arch enemies in terms of their views. Uh, Adams was very much a federalist and believed in, in a stronger central government Jefferson believed in a weaker central government, except when it suited him. Uh, today was also the anniversary of Jefferson announcing the Louisiana Purchase. Mm-hmm. And uh, keep in mind the fact that there is no provision in the Constitution for purchasing land. Mm-hmm. So Louisiana Purchase required saying, okay, there's no provision for it, but we're going to do it anyway, which is what he did. And, of course, Congress went along by allocating money for it. So we often had to have situations like that. But in any case, uh, throughout their lives, they were um, they were rivals, at least when they were active politically. When they both retired, uh, they became friends, particularly pen pal friends. And um, they both died the same day on the 4th of July. Yeah, amazing. So, Two great and uh, wonderful uh, Americans, indeed. So, oh, well, the, the resolve to maintain our republic, I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we now have the oldest republic, uh, constitutional republic in the world. Yes, I think, I believe that is correct. Um, and it's, look, it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge both because um, people, in, people interpret documents differently over a period of time. And like I said, you know, there are so many things that have developed in in the last 50 years in terms of communications and yeah. the Internet and so many different other areas that uh, we can't have expected um, the Founding Fathers to anticipate. And we have not had, that I can think of, uh, you know, any generation since them of people of such brilliance who work together harmoniously. Right, and, and even even with working together harmoniously, there were drastic differences, and didn't never resolve the issue of slavery and these other issues that ended up uh, leading to well, civil well, war. Slavery, look, remember what they did with slavery. With slavery, they they kicked the ball, uh, the can uh, down the field, so to speak. Right. They assumed uh, that slavery would disappear because at the time before the cotton gin had been developed, slavery was not economically that viable. And it was not viable where it was primarily being used for the for t- tobacco uh, fields. Right. And then everything changed when the cotton gin was developed, and suddenly America became this tremendous producer of cotton, and there slaves became very important f- factors economically. Yeah. And so again, here's an here's an example with technology. Not we're not talking about 200 years later. We're talking I don't know, it was 50, ten years later, fifteen. Yeah, years later, not the, not long after. The I think the cotton gin was developed in the late seventeen hundreds, if I'm not mistaken. Right, no, it's seventeen ninety something, if I'm not yeah. exactly. And so, so so soon afterwards, uh, uh, technology came along that completely upset their anticipation and their, their calculation that they could 
safely kick the can down the road because it's going to disappear anyway. And, of course, as a result, um, we had the Civil War. Yeah. Well, so, you mentioned that the, the, the Constitution is a living document, but it's also timeless in, in, in some senses, that uh, it uh, mandates the rule of law and separation of powers. There's just some things in, in, in the Constitution that will hopefully last forever. No, absolutely. Specifically, the, the concept of, of three co-equal branches of government was a brilliant uh, idea. The creation of, remember, the creation of the Senate and, and the House, that was a compromise. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that the, that the founding fathers thought, that, oh, this is a brilliant idea, let's do this. It was a way to compromise between the big states and the little states. Right. And so, you know, you had Rhode Island and Virginia, and Virginia had seven times the population of Rhode Island. And Rhode Island said, wait a second, if we do only have one House of Representatives, so to speak, Where's our power going to be, and how are we going to protect ourselves? Yeah. And so, so as a compromise, they created uh, two houses and two, and two, you know, different methods where every state got two representatives in the Senate, and why the House of Representatives was more or less representative of the population. Of course, since then, um, the differences between states have become much greater in terms of population. I mean, if you compare Wyoming and California, I think you're talking about 65 times right. the population of California versus Wyoming. So, do they anticipate those differences? I don't know. Yeah, obviously. I want to point out to our, our listeners that uh, you're in Tel Aviv right now, and uh, it's kind of interesting. There's some news, I think, breaking news this weekend about uh, Hezbollah and Israel. Maybe you could tell us about Correct. it. Correct. So, so Hezbollah, Israel is, has been a major producer for the last 15 years of natural gas, and Israel has uh, moved to additional gas fields. Um, there is a area of dispute between Israel and Lebanon in terms of where the territorial, economic territorial waters um, break between the two countries, and there's been negotiations partly uh, facilitated by the United States to try to work that out. Now, Israel began working a new gas field not within the disputed areas. In other words, within Israel's territorial waters, economic waters, that it's recognized by both the United States and the United Nations. Mm -hmm. However, Hezbollah decided it doesn't, it's looking for something to do to try to uh, turn the people of Lebanon who are in terrible, terrible shape uh, to see if they can create some sort of trouble. And so what they did is they sent three drones to try to, it seems to attack the new um, drill site. Uh, they were all shot down by two by Israeli missiles and one by an Israeli F-16, I think it was. Uh, but the question is, where does that lead next, and what is Hezbollah trying to do? Uh, you know, again, you always have the same problem. When your domestic situation gets really bad, you always worry that someone wants to change the topic. And changing the topic would be to create start a little war or something else, because domestically, Hezbollah has taken Lebanon into terrible, terrible place. And people in Lebanon are practically starving. A country that was doing so, so well years ago is been falling apart in the last uh, five years. Right, and Hezbollah is the reason, unfortunately. Uh, yep. let, let's let's uh, move to Iran. So the two different things to talk about with Iran. So first of all, on a on a on an internal basis, Iran has been executing lots of people in the last um, last month for reasons why they've rushed to execute. I'm not quite sure, including uh, a fair number of gay and lesbians. So. They don't. They're not exactly a liberal democracy, shall we say? Right. Um, second of all, they're 
it's looking less and less likely there's going to be an agreement with the United States in return to the JCOPA agreement. Um, we'll have to see, but I'm of the opinion that they never really wanted to come to an agreement. They were all trying to to gain more time. Also, the fact that the leader of Iran met with uh, with Putin very recently tells me I don't think Putin was there, was meeting to try to pressure him to agree to the agreement. I think it's in Russian interest to create a new front for the West uh, vis-a-vis Iran. So I see no reason why the Russians would be pushing to get Iran to agree to the agreement. Right. So all in all, I expect that there will not be an agreement and Iran will become practically a nuclear state. The question is, where does that go from there? Um, Keeping in mind that Iran has vowed um, to eliminate the state of Israel. So will the state of Israel allow them to reach this point and can can they do anything about it? Now, interestingly enough, uh, President Biden is coming to the Middle East in another week, and part of what he seems to be doing is to creating some sort of a defense alignment between Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the, and the Gulf states against Iran. So that's an interesting development. It's, it seems to be working, at least getting going, um, but it's quite an act of diplomacy if it succeeds. Kind of interesting that Iran would align with uh, Russia. It looks like it's leading to kind of a new alignment of power uh, in the Middle East and around the globe. Right. Well, don't forget, the Iranians are aligned with Syria, Mm -hmm. and Syrians are controlled by the Russians. So that's been going on for a while. Um, Now, I think um, the Russians are trying to expand their influence, obviously, as a counterbalance to Ukraine. Um, Difficult to do under the circumstances, um, but um, they're doing their best to try to do it. Um, they, they're they working together with China has, has really been diminished by the war in Ukraine. The Chinese really want no part of it. As much as they can stay away from it, that's what they want to do, because the Chinese goal in terms of um, domination is all economic. They, they're not interested. I mean, yes, they have a strong military and everything else, but but they think they can do very nicely economically, so why risk military confrontation with anybody if you don't have to? Right. Well, they've they've engaged in a war, not using conventional military methods right now, but they've been winning that war with regard to technology and so many other fronts. Right. I mean, I would say, yes. Um, I don't know if they're totally winning the technology war, but they're certainly trying. Um, it was a very interesting statement that the FCC has turned to um, to Google and Apple and requested that they take down TikTok. Uh-huh. And the statement was that TikTok is not a video sharing uh, application. It's a m- means of surveillance by the Chinese government of millions of people. Right. Interesting. So, those of you listeners who have TikTok or their children have TikTok, maybe you should think twice or three times. Absolutely. TikTok. Absolutely. Not that I'm a great fan of the competitors, but just that seems to be a little bit problematic, to say the least. Indeed. Uh, with uh, very little time we have left, any comments on Ukraine? Yes. I mean, look, the Russians have made a, have had a tactical victory now in the Lubovsk uh, area. Uh, on the other hand, the Ukrainians are moving forward in the south at Kherson. So we'll have to see where it goes at this point. It's a it's a big battle, let's put it that way. The Russians have focused in one area. The Ukrainians are trying to do something in the other area. Uh, we'll see what develops in the next couple of weeks. I'm still of the belief that at some point the Russians are going to f- totally fail. and The army's going to fall apart, but that may be wishful thinking on my part. So 
I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put all my money on that that prediction. Right. Well, I mean, and uh, unfortunately, this thing could drag on for years if we continue to finance it. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if we have any choice. I mean, we're fighting a, you know, that's like saying, you know, war against Hitler could go on for years if we didn't support the British. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. Let me put it this way: I do not see any substantive difference between our supporting the British in 1940 and 41 before we got into the war than us supporting the Ukrainians today, except for the fact that we're not alone. We have all of NATO. We have all of our other friends in the rest of the world who are also supporting the Ukrainians. So it's it's as clear as to me as we've ever seen in recent time of good versus evil. Indeed. Um, so. And when it's good versus evil, I don't think you have any choice. It's going to cost money. It's going to keep the gas prices high. Um, but one one needs to sacrifice for freedom. Go, let's go back to where we started this conversation. Mm -hmm. The American revolutionaries were willing to sacrifice uh, for the freedom of America. America will have to continue f sacrificing in order to ensure the freedom of the world. That's my my take. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. On July 4th, we genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. Everybody. You as, Happy 4th. You as well. And again, uh, uh, HistoryCentral.com is the name of the website. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McDegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We educate and inspire young people, Bob, in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. We do that through our uh, very robust website, which is feefee.org, and also through the, uh, the videos that are on the website and the in-person events that we hold around the country and sometimes abroad. Terrific organization, fee.org. If there's a young person in your age, high school or college age, please introduce them to this organization. It is fantastic and does great things for young people and for the country, I must say. So, Larry, you wrote a piece which I found so honest and wonderful. It's called The Biden Administration Shameful, Scandalous Spending. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, I think what uh, Joe Biden is doing on the spending front is nothing short of uh, shameless and scandalous. In fact, those adjectives seem a little bit uh, tepid in some respects, because in the time he's been president, not even two years yet, he's added trillions to the national debt. And uh, it's not enough for him, because he's still pushing Build Back Better and all kinds of other reckless spending sprees. Um, if he had gotten what uh, he had asked for in the last uh, eight, ten months, such as that particular bill, the uh, national debt would not just be $31 trillion, already up by seven or eight since he took office. It'd be uh, on its way to 35 or $40 trillion. So uh, he just spends for the hell of it uh, because uh, he somehow thinks that you know more government uh, command of uh, of what belongs to others is some magic formula to economic success. Right, it's so true. And uh, at this AFL-CIO, as you point out in your column, uh, I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. He said, we're changing people's lives. <laughs> and I think he's <laughs> yeah, right about he's that, changing, but, but for not he, for the better. better. Yeah, uh, he's certainly changing people's lives, but not for the better. He's given us nearly 9% uh, price inflation. That's the official rate. The actual rate, I think, is even higher. And he's given uh, future generations trillions of additional debt burden. So, yeah, he's changing lives, but uh, not in a way that the American people seem happy about. Now, and in addition to that, it's it's also the, the accounting for the money that's being spent. I mean, the, the uh, infrastructure program had, what, 8 to 10% of the money directed towards true infrastructure. And uh, in terms of uh, unemployment and other benefits that have been paid out during the pandemic, millions, billions have been wasted that are unaccounted for and seemingly with no interest in trying to, re- to resolve it or to, to uh, get back the money. Yeah, that's the one thing Congress seems, uh, and the administration, seem to have no interest in investigating, and that is the uh, recklessness of their own uh, unconscionable spending. Uh, to see, you know, what of it is actually going to uh, its intended purpose. If they looked into that, uh, they could have hearings for 
months on end. Yeah. And I am certain, as any econ- economist will tell you, they would find a massive amount of waste and fraud and all sorts of abuse. So as an historian, uh, just reflecting back on history, uh, th- these types of policies can lead to some pretty drastic ends. Um, and uh, you reflected, for example, on Rome. Yeah, uh, Rome did this same sort of thing in its latter days. It's a big reason why uh, the liberties of the old Roman Republic were eventually lost, because they spent themselves into bankruptcy. Uh, the economy uh, w- uh, saw all kinds of uh, disruptions and, uh, and uh, inflation, and ultimately out of that chaos came the uh, strong men of the Roman Empire who crushed what, le- what was left of Roman liberties. And, um, you know, I would guess a lot of Romans perhaps look back and, and uh, question whether it was wise to go down that path in the first place when they saw what the ultimate price of it was. Yeah. It was, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Ben Franklin, who walked out of the Constitutional Convention, said that, you know, we, ha- we have a republic if we deserve it. And uh, right now, we're just watching what the Biden administration is doing and uh, the spending is just out of control. How, uh, somehow, some way, we have to pay this back. Is it going to be through inflation? Well, I think so, to a great extent. I don't see any, any other way out of it. Uh, you can't spend trillions more than you've got without sooner or later having to just print up the money uh, to cover that spending. And that's what they've been doing for the last several years, and that's why we're seeing nearly 9% uh, price inflation. So uh, it's hard to imagine that if they don't get spending under control in Washington that we won't see a lot more inflation in our future. So uh, voters have uh, an opportunity this November to send the big spenders a message. And uh, regardless of who people may vote for, this is not an argument for any particular party. That's Mm -hmm. your choice. But I sure hope voters will decide this is the opportunity at the polls to crush the big spenders before they crush the country. Right, and of course, Republicans are not immune to this uh, type of habit themselves, so we need to hold our elected politicians accountable, even if there is a Republican a red tide. Uh, again, this, this just cannot continue. Yep, Ben Franklin said the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. You can't just uh, win an election and then walk away and expect everything to work fine. you got to keep an eye on them all the time. All right, and uh, I think it was Reagan that said we're just one generation away from losing our freedoms and liberty, so uh, he's so right about that. Larry Reed again, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Jim is an author. He's written several books. Uh, he retired as the uh, Washington correspondent for the uh, Barron's Magazine, and uh, he wrote uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, No Problem. We're going to visit with Jim, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several uh, novels, great murder mysteries, his latest, No Problem. Um, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. I'm sitting here worrying about uh, China and our response to China. You know, if, if I were a time traveler, I'd go back to the Nixon administration and stop Henry Kissinger from opening China because um, it was our vision that if we could improve the economy of China and raise the standard of living of its people, that the society would become more open and more democratic as that prosperity took root. And with the ascension of President Xi in China, the opposite has happened. He's recommunizing China. He, yeah. You know, the party, the totalitarian party, is flexing its muscle, taking over every square inch of China, and they have a broad vision of decapitating the United States in the future, uh, realizing, you know, if you look at the lessons of World War II, uh, one of the big reasons we defeated Japan was that we were resource-rich. Japan was resource-poor. So China is building its resources globally. It's, it's stolen intellectual property. 
and uh, manufacturing savvy from the United States, all with the goal of becoming an economic superpower, realizing that if you're an economic superpower, you become a military superpower. And based on the current trajectory, the Chinese economy will supersede that of the United States by 2030, which is not that far away. No, it, it sure isn't. And uh, Jim, I, I think the premise of uh, Henry Kissinger and uh, Richard Nixon at the time was probably right if, if uh, we're dealing with the Chinese people. But the uh, Chinese Communist Party is, in my opinion, a criminal transnational criminal enterprise. It doesn't necessarily represent the people at all. It has control of the people. But in, in, in fact, uh, they, they are not rep representative necessarily of the people. They have to keep the people at bay in order to maintain power. But uh, uh, the consequence is that we're dealing with a, a government that's, in, in some ways, it's not even a government. Well, you know, I have been relying on experts. Like there's a uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan uh, D.T. Ward. He's written a fabulous book called China's Vision of Victory, you know, and he, he's a, a China-Russia expert. And when you read his book, the ordinary Chinese citizen has a love-hate relationship with the United States with an emphasis on hate, because uh, they see us as meddling imperialists. Hmm. And uh, they become apoplectic when we criticize, say, their human rights conduct, you know, they, they feel like the United States is trying to dictate to them how, how to live. So I would disagree with you that there's that the citizens of China are have any uh, warm feelings towards the United States. I think they're uh, pretty much brainwashed yeah. by the Chinese government. Good point. That's uh, such an interesting point, Jim. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I mean, it is a dictatorship, and these people have no rights. Uh, just uh, Exhibit 1, of course, is just locking down people in uh, their homes, not allowing them to even get food to eat uh, because of pandemic. I mean, there it's just uh, amazing uh, total disregard for human rights. Yes, sir. If you watch what's happening in Hong Kong, it's a uh, devil's bargain. President Xi is telling the people of Hong Kong, you know, I will give you a comfortable life. I will make sure that you have bread on the table. Uh, but you have to uh, be totally obedient to the state. You have to be subservient to the state. And that's the trade-off. Otherwise, your life will be miserable. And that's a vision that he sees for the entire world. So, uh, you know, I read the papers every day looking for clues of what is China up to? And it's amazing. Like today they're dedicating, they're giving away a $200 million parliament building to Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> because they want to build influence in Zimbabwe. Uh, over on the other coast in Botswana, the EU is making a uh, hydrogen deal with Botswana as, as you know, because Botswana can produce green hydrogen. So as Europe is trying to distance itself from Russia, a Chinese puppet, it's become a Chinese puppet. Uh, they're, they're also a, a war for the hearts and minds 
of the Africans, and that's part of the, the global struggle for resources. Everybody wants to make sure they have resources to power their economies because they realize that in a, a country with a strong economy has strong military security as well because you can afford a military. Yeah. And at, at home, I mean, uh, I applaud, I think Tony Blinken, the, the Secretary of State, is on the right track, but the Biden administration who he serves he's a long he's been an aide to biden forever biden seems clueless he doesn't really know how to fix our economy or see the urgency of repairing the economy so that as we go into the midterm elections you have the republicans talking about let's reduce red tape let's reduce corporate taxes you know let's reignite the animal spirits of our capitalism and and get the economy growing again and the Democrats are talking about, you know, transvestites and abortion, uh, social warfare, and, and they're just missing the point completely. Uh, no question about it. Jim McTagg, again, a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, I highly encourage you to read his books, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, No Problem, Three Great Murder Mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Jim, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Happy 4th. Happy 4th, Jim. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And uh, we talked about a lot of interesting things with regard to uh, our Independence Day. Tomorrow, we'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boo in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great 4th of July here on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. And again, just uh, think about the solemn notion of uh, we could lose our republic in a generation. Those words of uh, Ronald Reagan, and we'll, have, we'll keep our republic if we deserve it, according to Ben Franklin. Certainly a challenge. It's not, we can't take it for granted. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>